Welcome to the Homeschool Mama Self-Care Podcast. If you are a homeschool mama challenged by doubt, not sure if you can do this homeschool thing. If you are a homeschool mama challenged by overwhelm, there are just too many things to do. Or if you are a homeschool mama looking for connection and encouragement, then this is the podcast for you. I'm Teresa Wiedrich from CapturingTheCharmedLife.com, and I'm here to encourage you in your homeschool journey. So let's turn our homeschool challenges into our homeschool charms. This episode of Homeschool Mama Self-Care is dedicated to all you homeschool dads. We see you and we see all that you do for our homeschool families. We want to honor you. I am so excited to introduce to you the homeschool dad in our homeschool family and has been an active participant in homeschooling our four kids every step of the way. He started our family with me back in September 99. Within weeks of dating, he was residency matched in Kingston, Ontario. The evening we went out to celebrate, as we drove down the Edmonton River Valley, I said something about when we're married, then something, and I turned red, realizing that we had never talked about marriage. But he didn't bat an eye, even though I know he heard. My roommate at the time teased me about being Mrs. Weedrick one day because he bought me tulips after our third date. I'd always said that the first man that buys me tulips would be the man that I married. I wouldn't have known he would bring me tulips because we spent a long time chatting or flirting for months prior to our first date. Unexpectedly, we met on labor and delivery on a Halloween night shift. I was working as a night's unit clerk on labor and delivery in my nursing school years. He was on his final rotation in his third year medicine. Five months and one day after our first date, he proposed on the banks of the North Saskatchewan River. Every day for 15 months, we wrote letters back and forth between Edmonton, where I was still finishing my Bachelor of Science in Nursing, and he was delving hard into his medical residency in Kingston. One and a half years after our wedding day, we welcomed our first baby Hannah into the world. Within three months after she's born, we drove across Canada to Hay River Northwest Territories, then did short-term locums around Alberta for six months, into Beaver Lodge and Castor and High Level and Didsbury. We toured the province, per se. Then we settled in Olds, where we welcomed baby number two, Madeline, baby number three, Rachel, and baby number four, Zachary, into our family, each of them very different, but all delivered in the exact same birthing rooms in Calgary. Jim had a family medical practice. He worked in Emerge. He delivered babies, other people's babies. He did epidurals and anesthesia. And after seven years in this charming agricultural town of Olds, we decided to simplify life, slow it down. We determined we needed to do that after the week that I had both read The Homeschooling Option by Lisa Rivera and became convinced we needed to homeschool, and Jim realized he needed to simplify and he needed a change. Before we moved to Kamloops, we visited Fort Smith, Northwest Territories, and Prince Edward Island, discovering that neither was the right fit, but beautiful. Jim was invited to share a medical practice in British Columbia, where we could spend half our time doing locums into Peace River in Alberta or north in British Columbia to Fort St. John, which really became like a second home for us, and across British Columbia, and also volunteering medical trips to rural Ghana and rural Kenya in Africa and into the Arctic, into Inuvik and Tuktoaktuk. Naturally, we homeschooled our four along the way. We visited the Anne Frank House and Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam, the UNESCO World Heritage Site in Siena, Italy. We took a gondola trip and visited St. Mark's Square in Venice. We visited the Michelangelo's David in Florence, or Farenze. We visited the Colosseum in Rome, a farm in Tuscany, World War II sites in Belgium, Westminster Abbey and the Tower of London in London, the Eiffel Tower and the Louvre, and even McDonald's in Paris. McDonald's. Hmm. Okay, maybe I wasn't there that moment, or else I wouldn't have chosen McDonald's. We visited a farm in the state of Georgia. We flew to New York City to watch Something Rotten 
on Broadway and visited the United Nations, too. We've been to the Wrigley Ball Field in Chicago, the Bahamas with Mickey and Minnie, to Anaheim to visit Princess Belle and Sleeping Beauty. We took a tour to Seattle's Bainbridge Island and pulled wild blackberries. We drove to the Grand Coulee Dam in Washington and many, many drives from British Columbia to Alberta. The travel became less frequent as Jim took on a job in eMERGE and anesthesia in our local hospital now. Then he took on the role of chief of staff the last five years. And as you can imagine, it's been an especially heavy role this past year. He's the kind of guy you want to have around if you want to get things done. He's got a long-term vision and he sees the big picture. He's the kind of guy who will resuscitate your cardiac arrhythmias in eMERGE, answer the calls on the unit clerk phone if no one's around, he can talk someone down from a suicidal ideation, set a dislocated shoulder, and do anesthetics in the operating room. And still comes home to wash the dishes, teach the kids lyrics from Broadway musicals like Hamilton, teach the kids how to suture bananas, figure out Matthew C. honors problems, ask questions about whether Bitcoin or precious metals are the way to go, understand the primaries and political elections in the states, and also understand all the political stuff in Canada and current affairs and geography and history. And he knows all sorts of different things. And it never ceases to amaze me that 22 years in, he continues to pull out words I've never heard him use before, and I don't know the definitions to. He is my partner in learning and building a family. He's my practice partner in learning how to love. And I am so Please to be able to share with you my husband, James Wiedrich. And I'm so grateful that he was able to make time in his admin day amidst all the fun meetings he gets to be part of to spend time chatting about homeschooling with me. Welcome to my closet. Oh, wait, it's your closet too. <laughs> <laughs> I've been saying that all season, and now I'm saying it to you. Yeah, that's super. That's great. I'm glad to be here. Coming to us live in your office in the hospital. Yes. Yeah. Fourth floor office. Uh, really nice view. Uh, it's one of the perks of the job, uh, but I am uh, happy to be at a not very remote location, but a fully functional one today. Thank you. I'm so glad you're here. I can't say that I've been more excited about an interview. When I went into the our closet the kids had said say hi to dad say hi to the podcast interviewer <laughs> like I was hiding underneath the suits or something like that yeah <laughs> so I'm going to jump right in I asked um, Zach our youngest to talk about the things that you taught him over the course of homeschooling so I'm going to tell you what he said hey. chess, the first thing he wrote was chess building stuff stitching because you're probably teaching him how to suture Geography, science, current affairs, piano, different kinds of wood, splitting wood, how to make a fire, doctor stuff, history, exercise, dishes, and logic. Okay, so I give all of them to you, but the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I can do the odd dish or two, but yeah, hey, uh, I, I'm not uh, sure about uh, one or two items on that list, but we've covered we've covered most of that pretty good. Yeah, that's great. So I'm I glad think, he could be that comprehensive. That sounds good. I think between you and me, we have very different interests, and we share those d interests with our kids um, openly. And we've we've gone all sorts of diff different kinds of directions. But I've seen, you know, really, it looks like we've dabbled almost in private school type topics, because you, you will go down all sorts of different paths when it comes to American history or Canadian history, current affairs, political sciences, economics, logic, chess, all these, you know, kinds of things. And I'm more of a spelling cursive, reading literature, grammar, writing, obviously, languages, that kind of thing. So we've created quite an interesting educational experience for our kids. Well, you know, my, my, my first thought when you raise that is along these lines, that um, I think I was a dissatisfied consumer of my K-12 education. And that isn't to throw it all out, or that isn't to uh, be arrogant or um, believe that I have all the answers. 
and yet there was so much that I could have been infused with um, if the system was prioritized differently. And so instead, I was lucky enough to have a fair amount of free time uh, growing up. And those are the things I wanted to learn about more and often did, but didn't always. And so, so I think one of the, you know, psychology points is that when you feel like you missed something growing up, then you want to compensate and make sure the next generation doesn't miss that. Or if you really think that it's kind of important to know something, but it's not natural for people to receive it in some other venue, then I'm pretty motivated to actually fill in those gaps. So your experience in school and my experience in school, pretty different because I felt like I wasn't fully engaged. And I definitely know that I was missed throughout my school years, that people didn't recognize that I wasn't getting everything or that I really wasn't attending to academics, but I was smart enough for people not to notice. Whereas, so I felt like I didn't get the full educational experience either. And you, on the other hand, went the other direction. You were very academic and yet you still didn't feel like it satisfied everything that you would expect. Honestly, uh, there were times when I underperformed in junior high because it was like an existential crisis. I thought, this is so lame. I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> really? What am I doing here? Yeah. Uh, you know, there, there was a time I had an opportunity in around about grade five, six, where there was a special class that was offered and five or six of us were part of it. And the little projects that we worked on in that uh, were my favorite. I mean, I remember doing a diorama uh, related to the Battle of Gettysburg, and I was like all in. I was like, yeah, I want to understand what the heck went on at Gettysburg. <laughs> and um, that that was really welcome chance to dive deep into something and, and everything else. Um, and I say this carefully, but everything else just seemed kind of lame, if you know what I mean. So your experience of school influenced your choice to homeschool. And obviously I'm familiar with your story about when we decided to homeschool, but how we, you know, being two separate different people, we would describe the story differently. So what was your, your experience of how we transitioned from a school experience into a homeschool experience? Right. Well, I remember that one of the timing drivers was along the lines of our oldest just really falling into some not very helpful socialization patterns in grade one and grade two, almost like it was miniature power games in the seven-year-old set. And, uh, you know, I'm sure she was a contributor, but, but there were a lot of other dynamic external forces at play. And I was like, what? She comes home cranky and, and this is, kind of goofy. You have to wake up the baby to drive her there and I've got to leave work early to go pick her up or what about the bus or uh, anyway, it, it was kind of like, Jesus is a nice school, but what is this doing in uh, a productive sort of way? And uh, as I analyzed, you know, what really a school day consisted of, I was like, you know, it made sense to me that there was a better way and uh the path we chose isn't the only better way but it was better than just going with the status quo and conforming and marching in lockstep with everybody else uh, i wasn't for that I, I think there's a part of me that uh, deep down is a little bit nonconformist and kind of questions why are we all marching in this direction do we have a good reason has everybody thought this out or are we just doing it because everybody else is doing it Right. Yeah. Well, there was one time very early on, I remember being at the dining room table and the kids were kind of loud, but I remember someone saying something, asking a question about something that was random. And it dawned on me that we have to answer those questions. We have to answer all the questions. Now we're responsible for giving them everything. It can't be just maybe at school, they'll figure this out. 
it's us now. And for me, that was a, a big transition moment that it wasn't just about creating an education for them or a home school for them, but it was a, a lifestyle of approach, approaching learning or understanding things differently or understanding an education differently. And it was very much on us to engage everything. Yeah, and, you know, at the end of the day, and I suppose um, this is uh, reflective of the professional life I structured for a while, and it did have an impact on our family, but the flexibility, the scheduling flexibility was the gold. It was the thing that if I ever needed to be reminded why were we doing it, it it was the it was the thing I leaned on as my number one reason. There was many more, but it was it was number one. And so, you know, in that respect, then we had the scheduling uh, flexibility to work with my irregular schedule, but still attend to the kids' needs in an attentive way that didn't involve a third party like a nanny or something like that. And it allowed you know, some of the travel learning experiences along the way and some of the hands-on kind of things that the kids got exposed to that that otherwise we couldn't have crammed it into spring break and summer holidays. It just wouldn't have worked or, or I couldn't have been able to squeeze that much out amongst a whole bunch of other people who that's the pattern they had to follow. So. Yeah, that and probably the biggest word for me for this entire homeschool experience is freedom. So you're talking about schedules in particular, or the ability to have flexibility with traveling or whatever experiences we want. Certainly, you know, all of that we've experienced together and freedom in itself, freedom to just look at each of the kids and go, who are you really? How do you really learn? And what do you actually want to learn? Or how can we facilitate all of the things that you need to learn to grow up to be a, you know, a a capable adult to get on with the next step of your life? How do we help you do that? So it's uniquely serving you so you can grow up and do the thing you were meant to do. Yeah, I mean, and you know, when I think quote, scheduling, I even think scheduling all the extracurriculars they wanted. It was so much easier to schedule extracurriculars out of a um, a home-based launching pad than it was following the standard, you know, slots afforded to a Monday to Friday school day existence. Yeah. Yeah. And actually we did way many more extracurriculars than I ever thought, because if we were in a school, there is no way that they could have done all of those things during you know we did it throughout the week but also I don't think I'd have the emotional ability to do all those things or drive all those places this last year has been really relaxing and I don't need to leave home (laughs) I'm good out of the three the two of them were really happy to stay at home and not do things all the time and learn that they didn't need to do all those extracurriculars it actually serves solitude Yeah, but their personality journey uh, is uh, either reinforced or or better explored that way. So, yeah, it speaks to who they are deep inside as a person or a personality. So what a year it's been, though, hey? Like, Mm. the world has kicked it up a notch, quoting Emeril Lagasse, though, the chef, the southern chef. (laughs) Bam. Yeah. (laughs) So I see, like, so many things that have happened over the course of the year. Um it almost looks like the world decided to unschool. And what I mean by that is that they decided to do some exploration into learning, into innovation, into things that they wouldn't normally have done. And they did it fast. They decided they needed to do something like, you know, creating ventilators or, um, you know, all the obviously vaccines or things like that. They put together all their knowledge they got together they innovative and they decided to do something with it which very much is like an unschooled learning model so how has this year been like for you um well it's 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 been challenging there's a real psychological battery drain that i think it uh has presented unlike anything else I can remember. I've been in moments or snippets of time where by just the very sort of uh, nature of the physical work or the actual moving around that you're doing that you would experience a psychological battery drain. But this one feels like you never really get a chance to get fully recharged. And maybe that goes to the novelty of the situation and learning coping skills. But 
you know, the, the need to be on, if you will, uh, a high alert status yeah. from basically last February, March, that's 2020, February, March, 2020, all the way through now until, you know, today we're speaking in June, 2021, hasn't really abated. Um, we're actually in a fortunate part of the world where um, we haven't been thrust into um, the extremely high caseloads or some of the uh, uh, horrific medical consequences that many of the more urban centers across our world have dealt with. But nevertheless, it's always in the background. You're always thinking about it. I'm um, dealing with um, um, people's emotional responses uh, on a much higher acuity level than I've had to for extended stretches in the past. And just even the physical practice of always being in uh, varying levels of personal protective equipment for every minute of my work that I, I didn't used to have to do all the time. It's, it's draining. Um, I, I can feel myself need more sleep or need more sort of recharge time and uh, not as easy to just snap into those kind of new patterns as you might dream of and wish. You know, the COVID, COVID fatigue, and it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but COVID fatigue is real. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And, you know, everybody has been on the rocky sea this year. Everybody's had a boat on this crazy rocky sea and have had to deal with very different things and experience very different things. And every family has had challenges in some form or fashion. What would you say to different, you know, other dads that are trying to engage their kids wholeheartedly, but are also really tired. And what do they do? You know, they've got big responsibilities at work, and they know that they need to be responsible at home. But it's all been a lot. Yeah, I can answer that question. But I don't sit here thinking that I'm an expert, ready to answer that question. Um, I didn't even, you know, predict that you were going to ask me that and I feel unqualified to answer. And so there, there, there's honesty. I, I actually would love to say, well, um, cherish the moment and fully engage and whatnot. But I, I feel like if anything, I've had to exert myself the most with my kids in managing managing a, a an attempt to smooth out some of the psychological lability. So said another way, you know, I think it is rocky for the kids in a way that I probably can't even appreciate. I mean, I remember what it was like to be that age, but I don't remember what it was like to be that age in a pandemic. <laughs> so um, I know I'm dealing with it in my own way. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a middle-aged man who has his own mortality uh, grappling that he has to deal with. Be, be gracious. Be considerate. Be a calming presence. Try to uh, continue to attend to your own needs in such a way so that you can be the steadying presence that others will benefit from. That was beautiful. And by the way, it completely coincides with my homeschool mama's self-care thing. <laughs> oh, well, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's good. True. I'm staying on theme. That's good. Cool. <laughs> and also you actually do that. You're way more diplomatic and gracious and less reactive than I am. And this year has been a year for everybody. And everybody has had layers pulled back. So they are just feeling all the fields. There's nothing to distract. Yeah, we can't complain that we haven't had opportunities for growth. Uh, <laughs> no. it's, 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 it's thrust us into um, uh, dimensions that, that we didn't predict. And uh, I suppose that's the uh, beauty of the uh, live together, learn together life experience, uh, but uh, it doesn't feel so beautiful in the incremental moments of it. You can helicopter above and see some of the really uh, beautiful patterns and opportunities, but while you're down in the middle of it, it just kind of feels painful sometimes. Yeah, yeah. 
You know, just I'm going to share with my listeners that two things I want you to know that, yes, I do know that my husband has a voice that is radio worthy, and he has heard it many times, and he has been the voice of God when he has recorded the Bible at different at a, at a specific um, moment last year. And also the other thing is that his vocabulary never ceases to amaze me that even 22 years in, he continues to pull out words that occasionally I'm like, hey, what, what is that? I don't understand what that is. <laughs> if God didn't want you to use all of the English language, he wouldn't have made all of the parts of it. So there you go. You got to <laughs> get to use the different words that are open and optionable. <laughs> So it's not just your vocabulary. Obviously, you were a heavy reader when you were a child, and I have watched you read Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky, but you know a lot of stuff. And also that you're you're very interested in trivia, but you've got a real passion for politics and history and um, economics and bas- or baseball stats, all sorts of space, uh, sports stats that I didn't even know you had interest in different sports. <laughs> But also, you know, Broadway music, you've got a diverse selection of interests, which really bring a lot to the table. Naturally, you and me, uh, our interests, and I think this is the case for everybody's family, though, is that when we as um, parents, when we bring our interests to our homeschools, we can create a really interesting homeschool. Yeah, you know, and you know, the comment that I would make on that is, um, you might think, well, where does somebody uh, gather all of those interests or whatnot? Uh, but there's absolutely a argument to be made for uh, like just early breadth of exposure, because that's how you end up latching on to those things to deciding that you're interested in. And, you know, I'll give credit, uh, full credit to my parents uh, that uh, even though I didn't find elementary school, some kind of riveting uh, magical experience, I had a set of encyclopedias and I had all sorts of uh, music and magazines and whatnot that I could access. And I listened to the soundtrack to Fiddler on the Roof a gazillion times. And I had the opportunity to read Sports Illustrated cover to cover every week and, and Time Magazine and Newsweek. And you get the idea. So um, you know, the saying is uh, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them uh, drink. But if there's a lot of water around, the horse is probably not going to be thirsty. So um, just it was like there it was. So I read it and I liked some parts of it. And, and yet at the same time, you know, like I cannot identify with Zach's um, absolute interest in um, mechanical engineering kind of stuff. I just, I had opportunities and I didn't care. I didn't want to go outside in the back and build some excavator in the mud. I was much more interested in doing all the things I just referenced and and reading and learning about them. And, you know, eventually reading a short four-page biography of every American president had much more appeal than uh, doing some kind of fiddling around or mechanic work on a motorcycle. So I'm not your mechanic guy. I can change a tire, but I'm, I'm I'm pretty useless trying to fix a small engine motor. Well, two thoughts that I've had, though, are that one, you're kind of speaking to the unschooling concept of screwing, where you leave a bunch of stuff around and kind of hope that the kids will notice and get curious. And I think there's value in that. Obviously, I think there's value in that and a lot of exposure to interesting things. But the other thing is this year you did indeed challenge the shop class because you built last year you built a wood um a wood structure to house or hold wood and and for a cord of wood yes a one yes. cord wood shed. and yeah. and a full goat barn that's huge yeah and you know but at the end of the day there was um just incremental learning on that goat shed and it um used pretty simple principles so, well, then it just is about attention to detail. So, okay, uh, let's actually measure this three times before we start making cuts or decide where to place something. But that there's nothing high grade about the carpentry in that. It's just <laughs> buying basic lumber and uh, making right angles. So I, I, I think it that. looks really good. I think yeah. it looks good. Okay. But, you know, if someone came along and said, so how did you do the rafters and, where, you know, the fancy cuts? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, brother. I read about that once, but I don't know how to do that. So. 
So that's the difference between you and me, though. And it goes back to that discussion or that first argument. Uh, when we built Hannah's crib for the first time and you were reading the directions in like French, English, Chinese, and German. And, and I was like, I'm going to just feel my way into creating this crib. <laughs> anyway, that didn't go over well. Uh, no, it is absolutely a uh, personality uh, exposure moment. But uh, the correct um, way for the narrator to have described the crib experience was uh, I simply felt it was necessary to read the instructions twice before we proceeded in terms of <laughs> operationalizing the project. So where do I go right now? Do I talk about Enneagram and how you're an INTJ and I'm probably an ENFJ, but kind of close to the middle of not so extroverted? Or do I go down the discussion of the top favorite things that you've done with the kids. Which one do you want to talk about first? Uh, okay, so Myers-Briggs doesn't light me up. And Enneagram <laughs> doesn't light me up. Why? Tell me why. So I'm a Virgo. Who cares? Uh, let's move well, that, on. That's astrology. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah I, I know, but, but that's the point. It's mixing and matching. So, you know, um, I, I actually think, you know, you know what I think? I think at the end of the day, that while people who care about you might benefit from understanding that your brain prioritizes other things that maybe they don't naturally, I think that's the limit to what you get out of doing Enneagram and Myers-Briggs. And I actually, I just think it lends itself to stereotypes and everything I deal with in my professional life is having to break that down. So if I walk into the eMERGE and there is a, now I'm going to make something up, a really obese 55 year old male who is acting in a certain fashion, the brain is naturally going to go, oh, well, maybe this, this, and this. And it's delightful that you have a little bit of an information um, arsenal to kind of draw on because of your experience, but you will mess yourself and the patient up more if you lean hard into stereotypes in that moment instead of keeping an open mind and just unwrapping the package, the clinical package that is before you. And so I really worry that if um, everyone out there in podcast land knows that I'm an INTJ and a one and a Virgo, you know, I don't want to I don't want to be like uh, boxed in that much or handcuffed that much. Uh, just to come and get to know me if you want to know what makes me tick or drives or that kind of thing. I think it has a value to understand each other because I think instead right. we think inside our own heads and we assume that everybody else is thinking the same way that we're thinking. And actually, we don't. And we have different points of reference and we're taught different things from our parents of what's valuable. And we've been taught, you know, different cultures or different educational paths or whatever. And we listen to different things. But because we're those different people, we even hear things differently. Yeah. And you know what? Uh, and that's fair. And, you know, but I think that here's what's happened. And, and uh, I'll just speak uh, in my own uh, professional learning circles. So I'm part of a course where they grouped 25 of us together and said, OK, well, you know, everybody take a personality test. And it was one of these uh, red, green, blue personality test things. And I am prepared to guarantee to you that the people who sponsored this course and um, have a bureaucracy to run, they specifically uh, stereotyped away the reds and the greens and didn't want to tap them for certain roles. And they immediately went, oh, well, you know, uh, he rated a green on his uh, red, green, blue thingy dingy. So I guess he's an okay guy and he hasn't, uh, you know, gone to jail yet. But, uh, and, and so I, I actually, I actually think that corporate, uh, entities, bureaucratic structures or whatnot, lean into it a little bit and then they make a cartoon out of it and they, they lean on it in ways that should not be um, relied upon. So, so I'm, I'm officially a personality test categorization skeptic guy and um, acknowledge that in an intimate relationship, it will help, you know, two uh, life partners uh, learn a little bit more or perhaps learn how to, you know, approach that other person in, in a more sensitive way. Yeah, fair enough. But that's about as far as I go. I actually don't really want to go much beyond that in terms of like my ability to have an affinity for that. So what would you say your top 10 maybe favorite things that you've done with the kids are? Yeah, I, I, I love that question. So 
for sure it involved uh, some of our locum type travel experiences. And the one that I definitely um, uh, have the fondest memories of is the uh, car trip up to Inuvik and then hanging out with them along the way. And even, I believe it was a pretty fun summer up there. And I don't know if you put truth serum into them, what they'd think about it, but you know, it was land of the midnight sun and it was working up North and it was getting everybody to go dip their toe in the Arctic ocean kind of stuff. And, you know, that was pretty cool. And plus they got to see all sorts of geography and wildlife that you're just not able to see in the urban side of the world. So yeah, so it had a cool. whole different experience than even rural Africa. It felt more remote. Yeah. And we've had lots of really uh, fun game times together. So we played all sorts of different games. Uh, when the spirit strikes us, we really like Scotland Yard or some other kind of game. I, I like playing cards with everybody. That That's fun. We've, we've had lots of different four-way card games that that are really entertaining and, and, and fun. And then I, I definitely like doing just popcorn trivia kind of stuff. Uh, you know, they'll say, well, we want to have geography questions and I'll come up with as many things off the top of my head as I can. Um, I enjoy teaching uh, the girls Canadian history on a level that I thought it deserved to be taught at and that you don't, you're not going to get in a regular high school. So that at least that opened their eyes to some of those concepts. I've enjoyed doing, um, you know, macroeconomic kind of financial things with them. And, you know, there, there may not be uh, um, really flaming uh, high degrees of, of interest, but I, I definitely see an inflationary thesis out there right now that I'm glad that I've explained to kids a little bit about fiat currency and how they all go to die eventually, because I'm pretty sure that we're in one of those moments in civilization where uh, before before I check out of the planet, God willing, that, um, you know, we're going to have uh, hyperinflated away our current currency structure, just the way uh, everything has been uh, uh, rolling with um, both U.S. and Canadian macroeconomic type stuff. You know, I'm not sure I'm going to get to, to 10, but the other thing that I definitely uh, am uh, really pleased to have done with them is uh, just just all the the songs times. Just, you know, they, they naturally, it wasn't because of me, they just naturally had an affinity to doing some of the Broadway sing-along type stuff. And, and that was pretty cool. Yeah, they were. That was, that was some really good memories there. And really, the kids were just playing Sorry outside the room here. And there's always music going on. You know, you just said something, though, about macroeconomics. And I have to ask you, have you considered entering politics? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't that be brilliant? Yeah, I think I think I have a interest. And I think that the truth is, I wouldn't really like the necessary day-to-day -day work of it. And so there are people who are fairly well suited for the day-to-day -day politicking of it. And I think I'm, I have an easier time philosophizing about it or talking about directions that I think we should be taking instead of the current ones we might be. And so um, like it or not, I am more in an armchair quarterback role than a uh, get down and dirty of a role. What would you say that your greatest challenge in homeschooling is? That I'm actually not naturally a good teacher. Really? That I, I actually think that you're a very good teacher. Well, um, the best teachers, in my opinion, number one, spark your interest. Okay, I can do that. Number two, explain things in really easy to grasp uh, ways. Mm, not my first skill set. 
And then number three, um, allow the individual student to grapple with it enough to give them enough space that they've really started to formulate a way to approach uh, certain problems without without rushing it. And uh, the truth is, I don't I don't think I do that very well. I think I think I have to give um, learners more space than I naturally uh, give them. I, I see that in my own professional world, um, you know, just in the land of medical education and training medical trainees. Hmm. I, I want to get to the finish line too fast. And um, learners need more time to just uh, grapple and, and work things through. So, so I'm, I'm aware that it, with my kids, that I, 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 my goal is always to do that, but I don't think I naturally do that very well. This kind of goes back to a discussion that we've had outside of today, and that is about unschooling or self-directed education. And and in our first child's um, educational experience at home, I learned very quickly that she didn't want to be taught. And I think that she's unique in that way in her personality, that she's just very strong. But at the same time, we are naturally learning animals, and we do really want to learn we just don't necessarily want to learn the way that somebody's teaching. We don't necessarily want to learn what somebody is teaching us and we kind of have to get out of the way. And that's definitely something that Hannah taught me was to get out of the way of the, the educational process and then insert as needed. But, you know, we've had this chat about unschooling and you are, I don't really like that word either. I find that word, it just is too loaded and it suggests that hands off somebody doesn't care but that's actually really not the unschooled world but a self-directed learning or more of a self-directed learning approach I think that's why I think it's really useful because then you don't have to have that hands-on follow me listen to the way I'm speaking so that you can learn this thing yeah I can identify with the phrase self-directed learning um bottom line there are constructs that we've uh, facilitated for what I would call some of the core concepts. So core in my world being math and reading and um, exposition, you know, writing exposition, making an argument on paper, uh, science. And then I, I have always, since I was eight, nine or 10, disliked the phrase social studies. I acknowledge that there is a role for social studies in our broader society, in the education of each and every person, but at least in the jurisdiction that I grew up in, that's all they said was social studies. And they barely, they managed to insert about three sentences worth of history and geography was an afterthought. So you can say, well, what is it necessary to know all of that? Well, it matters a lot. If you don't understand history, you don't know why we're at this moment in time and why the forces that are swirling around us are the way that they are. And you don't know what, you know, might naturally result if we keep following down path A versus path B or path C. History doesn't predict the future and past isn't always prologue, but you know, if you don't understand the historical forces that have led us to the moment in time that is now, then you are going to live either live in a constant state of shock, surprise, dismay, reactivity, um, just kind of like chaotic lack of ability to have a, a directional arrow. And that is absolutely what is missing at the leadership level because politicians are too busy pandering to what, people's needs are in any one particular moment in time and, and our and breadth of society is not sufficiently engaged or educated enough uh, to demand that they actually take a much more aspirational point of view and to respond to it. We, 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 we have, as a society, earned this, unfortunately, what I believe currently aimless political direction because we have dumbed things down so much. There, so, rant over. Back to the politics concept. <laughs> you have enough passion for politics, for sure. So what did you want to do when you grew up? 
Um, do you mean at a certain age in my life, what did I have in mind? Or uh, yeah, you when mean, you were younger, what did you think you were going to do when you grew up? I don't know. And you know, the, you know what one of my problems was is everybody wanted me to know. And it actually, um, it actually gave me internal stress. Yes. Uh, I can remember feeling seriously stressed in grade 11 that I didn't know the career path I was going to be on. And I did not like that feeling didn't like that feeling at all. I remember taking these uh, quizzes that they offered in high school and the top two items were something like jeweler because they thought that I'd be good with meticulous work designing custom jewelry or something. I'm like, what? You know, beautiful pieces for me, but you haven't created them. No, no, yeah, great. I think they, I can appreciate the beauty. That's not the problem. It's that I don't want to spend my life creating these. I, I don't know what, what I answered wrong on that, on that test to, to get me to that answer. But, but I think it just uh, proves that the test was flawed in the first place. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, um, I ended up slowly coming to the realization that the two things that I really did like were sciences in the biochemical kind of neighborhood, biology and chemistry, or the combination biochemistry, and people interactions. And so it took a while to understand what I really wanted to do with that. And I was 19 or 20 before I had a solid feel for that. But there's zero, there's zero need to know any of that really early on. So interesting because a lot of people actually get really concerned that we don't know how to direct our kids in high school. We want to make sure that we know for sure what they're going to do afterwards. And the idea of not having a formal high school diploma or having a school approved curriculum means that you will not be able to get on with the rest of your life. But both you and I in different ways started in one area, like you started in pharmacy, and then you decided you didn't want to stay in pharmacy. And so then you actually did what you needed to do, go to school, take the courses, and then apply for MCATs and then go in medicine. Yeah. And and, and then what my career has shown is that every five to seven years, I kind of feel like, oh, this has kind of run its course. And then I make a course modification or uh, an optimization or or something like that and and you know that's okay and 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 you know my my current ambition in life is to uh you know be morgan freeman you know get uh, get gigs <laughs> like nature documentaries uh, like you know the emperor penguin marches all the way to his ancestral breeding grounds in the 100 mile per hour winds of antarctica well why why can't i get that kind of gig right now all i got to do is apply myself a little bit and uh, pretty soon i'm talking about hyenas and running across the serengeti yeah well, I'm pretty sure after the podcast is released, it will go out into those regions and you will find that contract. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll uh, keep my exercises going. I'll keep working on it. Yeah. So tell me what your base values are in the, your intentions towards your home or towards your family. Integrity, honesty, uh, service. We should all be working to find our own individual way of expressing ourselves so that we can continue to grow in maturity and wisdom, but with a ability to be a positive net contributor to society. Mm. Now, that was extremely wordy. And if I write that all down, I'm sure I could boil it into maybe a catchword or a catchphrase, but... That's actually very similar to what I write down in discussion in my um, homeschool mama retreat about what is an education anyway, or it's another podcast episode even, but what is an education anyway? Yeah, those are the absolute aspirational type of principles that you should be aiming for. And whether you swim near the left river bank edge to get there down the middle of the stream or on the right river bank edge to get there, it doesn't really matter and you can change your meanderings as you go but you have to be aiming towards those things or they have to if you prefer and shift your uh, analogy you have to have them as underpinnings otherwise you you can you can go off the rails now that doesn't mean that 
life's a bowl of cherries and it's always going to be amazing just because you have the right goals. Uh, but at least it's going to feel purposeful uh, every step of the way and that you can have a pride in it and that you can have a legacy in it. Um, and, and, and by that, I mean an actual positive legacy, a legacy that you uh, feel would be honorable and that uh, if you died tomorrow, you'd have a comfort with. That, um, you know, the other day we were talking about values and I said, I think I just like you said at the beginning of the conversation that you're naturally a very independent thinker and it's been something that I've always valued for our kids and I do think that you know a couple of them came by that naturally anyways but we definitely have encouraged it in so many different ways and homeschooling definitely does that no matter how you take on this homeschool thing you're doing something that's not mainstream so inherently you're taking on independence but, you know, what do you think we've done that actually has really encouraged that? Because we have been told many times your kids are very independent and it's true. They are compared to the average. But what do you think that we've actually done to encourage that? How did we help foster independence? Yeah. We structured their financial situation such so that they had, you know, a cash envelope system that allowed them to make choices to save for the future, to prioritize charity, to prioritize long-term savings and whatnot. And so we got them out of a reactive, let's ask dad for another 10 bucks kind of system because they knew that there was a, a monthly kind of payday thing. And so that was, that was useful. Mm-hmm. Definitely believe that just escaping the bubble of their usual sort of societal boundaries and actually going out and traveling was useful mm-hmm. and that they need protection during those travels. But in the act of doing it, you gain confidence and then you learn how to function in all sorts of different uh, scenarios. And uh, that's, that's, that's very helpful when it comes to, when it comes to learning, there have been very broad parameters for the kids and they could color in between the lines and they did not get a one to 20 prescripted itemized here's how exactly your day is going to flow kind of thing they definitely could could help design schedules or negotiate for different mechanisms and learning tools yeah um you know those those are the things that come immediately to mind. Yeah, I find it funny that actually people often ask, how do you motivate your child? But I actually think oftentimes the keto motivation is to pull back the things that are keeping them from being motivated, that putting too many constraints or expectations on them for things they don't really want to do is part of the problem. It's not a way to motivate them. Yeah, you you get addition by subtraction. I understand that theory. That makes sense to me. So something you can't do in Canada is bring your kids to work day. Well, the, you probably can bring the kids to your office right now on your admin day, but you can't bring them into a merge or the operating room. But the kids have had the opportunity to be with you in the operating room, you know, when you're doing anesthetics in uh, Kenya and in Ghana, they went and did some rounds on pediatrics and all sorts of experiences with you that they couldn't have. That was a, that was a very uh, blessed concept uh, with the, uh, you know, volunteer overseas service that we did within respectful, respectful boundaries, which we always kept, uh, they were able to shadow me on those, uh, uh, those moments. And, and they could see that, you know, there was a lot of learning that I had to do in those moments and, and whatnot, but, but a lot of the core educational principles that I had still, still came through and uh, yeah, absolutely. It was kind of neat. I mean, that, that's a, that was a neat way to share and a neat part of an educational legacy. So I'm very glad to have done that. Some of the best memories that I've had with you. I remember going to the Super Bowl with you. I don't think I've ever watched an NFL game before that, not in full anyways, but that was so fun. Amen. Amen, sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, super cool to just get into the energy of the whole phenomena. It, it obviously is uh, 
the preeminent thing on the sports calendar every year. And it was becoming that when I was a kid. It wasn't really at the zenith of that back in the early 80s. Uh, but, you know, by the time the 90s and the zeros came along, it, it was. And that was a uh, lifelong ambition that I'm very grateful to have been able to uh, um partake in and so yeah uh, kudos thanks thanks for uh, being the, uh, the the partner in crime and going to phoenix that was great yeah, well you even pulled out a, a limo and had red roses and were being my bachelor for the night that was really romantic but probably the most romantic thing that you've done is actually way to san francisco to see a michael buble concert on my 40th birthday that pretty much takes the cake that's a pretty cool memory pretty cool memory yeah we're kind of transitioning into a different era of homeschooling because we've got one child graduated and we've got a second one that's just about to graduate. Our third child is about, or she's in her first, finishing her first year of high school, of public high school. And then we have a 12 year old that is moving into independence. And it feels very different from the beginning of our homeschool years. So what are you looking forward to after homeschooling is all over besides clean floors? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I could do with a little less clutter and clean up. You know, that's cool. I think that I am looking forward to being in the audience of my kids, you know, what my kids are choosing to do or uh, whatnot, having having the um, uh, tables turned a little bit and maybe having them invite me to observe them a little bit as opposed to, you know, the, the, the natural direction that it's been while they were really young and that kind of thing. So that, that, that would, that would feel, that would feel rewarding. And I would, uh, I would, I would look forward to them saying, Hey, what about this? I've got this idea. Will you participate or come along with it? Well, I'm hoping Madeline just needs a little childcare and I am happy to participate in whatever activities she's doing in the Bahamas. But I am, I'm thinking we can just keep growing our herd of goats, live off the proceeds, build a Henry David Thoreau cabin, because we know that you can build now. And um, well, we, of course, run our country in and we can fly you in and out of American cities so you can watch baseball games. I don't want to wake you up out of your dream. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so how do you encourage homeschool dads? This is about to be Father's Day. And um, they're just about to get their macaroni necklaces. How would you encourage homeschool dads to show up in their homeschools? You know, I think I think it's actually pretty basic. I think it who are you? What lights you up? Do your best to share it. And yeah. listen. Yeah. Just listen some more yeah oh and then listen a little longer yeah, yeah. Well, said. well said that's for all of us final question rapid fire questions to just get to know you in a different way in a way that i don't usually ask anyone <laughs> right right okay first what are you reading what's on your books dad because i ask everybody that man search for meaning victor frankel yeah light read yep yep <laughs> It's a seminal work. It really is. Yeah. Okay. So Bitcoin or precious metals? Precious metals. We don't know how Bitcoin survives financial turmoil. So uh, it's only 12 years old. We'll see how cryptocurrency does in absolute financial upheaval. We don't know yet. And where would you like to travel next? I always wanted to go see the Pearl Harbor Memorial in Honolulu and I've never been yet. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go to Hawaii too. <laughs> we'll go together to the Pearl Harbor Memorial in Honolulu. Yeah. Yeah. We'll skip the beach, but definitely yeah. it has been so fun and so different being in our closet alone. No, let me say <laughs> It has been so much fun chatting with you today. This has been a really interesting note. I, I'm so bad. It has been so much fun to hang out with you in the closet. Yeah, we had a we had a uh, wide ranging and a very entertaining discussion. Glad to be here. 
and thank you for joining me today. I would love to learn more about who you are, so come on over to our Facebook group, the Homeschool Mama Support Group, or the Homeschool Mama Self-Care Instagram page, so we can support and encourage each other in our homeschool challenges. While you're there, you can check out the book of homeschool encouragement, Homeschool Mama Self-Care, Nurturing the Nurturer. If you're a homeschool mama looking for extra support, ask me about the Homeschool Mama Retreat. All the show notes and links of this episode will be found at www.capturingthecharmlife.com. Until next time, I hope you and your kids have a charmed week, and if you're having one of those days, I hope you can reframe your challenges into your homeschool charms.